BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jaromsky Show for Thursday, February 10th is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and yeah, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Oh, doorbell. Someone's here. Our guest has arrived, but he's going to be quiet and he's going to silence his mic because his grand introduction is not ready to occur. Take it away, D. <laughs> Chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. Chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. I just biked around Lake Michigan. It is Thursday, February 10th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome back Devin Thompson... And making his Ben Jarofsky show debut, I believe, Ben? Is that right? Yes. Yes, it's true. Nadir Issa. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Maskless Thursday, and here's why. Front page of my Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered as always, says it all. Maskless by March. And then those clever headline writers uh, at the bright one, I got to give them credit, D. They, they put a little asterisk because there's fine print. It's like a legal document. Well, you know, schools will still require masks. If you have an erection for more than four hours, contact your doctors. Okay, oh, it does not say that in the Sun-Times. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, wow, where did that come from? That came from somewhere down deep. <laughs> you want to start this intro over, Ben? No, I love that intro. Okay, okay. My guest is shaking his head going, this guy hasn't changed. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, maskless by March. Governor Pritzker announced yesterday. We're going to have a deep dive in this tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I know this will be coming tomorrow. I just want to say this. Uh, get this on the record right now. Uh, Governor Pritzker says we'll be maskless by March, thus taking away pretty much the biggest campaign issue that almost all the Republicans had. Okay? He making us wear masks! A tyranny! They never said one word about the war on drugs the whole time they were locking people up left and right. We're about their liberty. But they, oh, man, what about our liberty? Well, that there you go. Open window. Throw out that issue. Now you're going to hear him talk about crime, 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 crime. Like any of them have any clue what to do about crime. Moreover, like any of them care about crime other than using it as an issue to scare you into voting for them. Well, much more to talk about that uh, tomorrow. I want to shift gears and bring on a dear friend of mine, our guest today. Uh, I rather affectionately call him Daddy D. I'm pretty much the only person in the world who calls him Daddy D. Everybody else calls him Devin Thompson. Uh, And not only is he a good friend of mine, he is truly one of the most talented uh, singers, performers in the city of Chicago, in my humble opinion. 
Kevin Thompson, welcome back to the show. Hey, well, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, because this is my first time, remember? Uh, no, that is actually not true. Uh-oh, error. Uh-oh, for a young man, your memory is slipping. This is your third visit to the show. Oh, hey, come on. Look, I know you didn't partake with the herbal stuff back in the day. You were one of those straight and narrow kids, but maybe you took a few too many shots in the head playing football or something. Uh-oh. But <laughs> That's all good, man. How you? It's doing? all good. How's it going, man? It's going great, and I got to tell folks, uh, Devin and I years ago had a radio show together uh, at the University of Chicago. We had a blast. That's how I met Adolfo, who's a regular on the show, El Dragon, because uh, his show was right after our show. Uh, and Devin and I did on that radio show pretty much what we're going to do right now: uh, <laughs> talk music, politics, and sports. We all mix it together, uh, and it's amazing how much we disagree. Uh, and it's also amazing uh, how uh, every now and then Devin Thompson is absolutely right. And I am forced every, to make concessions. Every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before we uh, take the deep dive uh, into all that where he's right again and uh, get his opinion to see uh, on this very pressing issue of the day, that's on my mind. Uh, Devin, do a little promotion. Uh, tell folks where they can see you and all that good stuff. Go ahead. All right. So I have the CD, which I call it uh, my retroactive CD release party because the CD was released in 2020 uh, during the uh, the beginning of the pandemic, which I had no choice in the matter. Uh, it's called Tales of the Soul off Severin Records. And so I'm doing this party at this place called The Forge. It's a nice big club in my hometown. I live in Chicago, but uh, hometown of Joliet. Um, it's, uh, this, uh, the February 20th, you know, funny thing about it, Ben, I was going to do it. Hey, let's do it on the 12th of February. I'm like, yeah, I got everything together, got the room and all that. And then like my partner called me, I'm saying, yo, you know, that's Super Bowl Sunday. Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't compete with that. So we switched it to the 20th of February at the forge. It is 22 West Cass street, Joliet, Illinois. Uh, it's the doors are open at six and we're going to hit at seven 30. So be there 22 West Cass street, Jolie, Illinois. It's going to be a grand time. Yeah. Just to make it clear, he was going to have it on February 13th, but yeah, he switched February. it to February 20th. So yeah. February 20th, the week after Super Bowl Sunday, yeah. uh, Come and, to, uh, go to the forge.com and, and purchase your tickets there as well. And uh, I got to give a shout out. Uh, Devin is truly talented, in my humble opinion. I'm not just saying this because he's a friend of mine. I truly believe it. The man's got a, a great voice, great stage presence, very funny on stage, has a good way of engaging the audience. Uh, and if he sees me in the crowd, he usually gives me a trash talk or two from the stage. So I love this man dearly. And I urge everybody to go check him out. He's uh, and we call I call him uh, Daddy D because he has a lovely daughter, uh, also named Devin, spelled differently. And so I had to yes. distinguish one from the other. And she's a, 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 a singer performer in her own right, different kind of genre, but yeah. you know, different genre. And she's a licensed therapist and all of that good stuff. So she can uh, give you some therapy and sing to you at the same time. Maybe that might work in conjunction. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, true. How she does it. 
Uh, all I know is that my sessions are free. I don't care. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I could use some sessions, man. I'm losing my mind. All right. Before uh, I, I take that, uh, go down that road, uh, I got two things I want to uh, talk with uh, Devin about today. Uh, one is something I wrote about um, uh, in the reader this week about Eric Clapton. But before I go mm-hmm. there, I have a huge uh, one more time concession to Megan. Uh, this man totally changed my life, uh, Devin Thompson. I'll tell you how. So we did the we had the uh, radio show back at the University of Chicago, uh, and Devin really knows his music. He's younger than me. He always loves to point that out. Uh, he's younger than me, and uh, so I like try to think I know more about music from the '60s and '70s than he does. Uh, and he actually knows quite a bit thanks to his father. Um, but uh, he also he really his, he's kicked in in the '80s, and so we used to have these arguments about Prince. And I didn't really appreciate Prince enough. I was like, oh, you know, he's okay. He's a good pop singer. I like Purple Rain, you know? Okay? <laughs> yeah. Come on. And Devin said something to me on a show. He said, we were got into an argument, and he said, Prince was a better guitar player than Carlos Santana. Wait, and I was, wait, wait. Oh, here we go. I love the corrections. Go ahead. I said, I'm correcting. I like Prince. Who you said, who do you like the best? Prince or Carlos Santana? I'm like Prince. Now I didn't say he was better. So you fair enough. You can't say that. No one can say that. But go ahead. I, 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 I fair enough. Fair enough. That's. I'll, I'll rephrase that. Uh, that's exactly what. And I was like, "What are you kidding? Carlos Santana's unbelievable, man!" And uh, so time has gone on. Prince passed, and that's when I began to do my exploration into Prince. I'm always late to the party, man. And I'm like, he just had to die for him to go and research. That's okay. (laughs) You see, you see where this is going now, right? So, man, I'm like, oh my god, this man is unbelievable, and not just guitar, ladies and gentlemen. There's the piano that the uh, summertime that that there's that footage on of him at a lawn at a, a grand piano at some concert stadium doing a sound check i'm like this dude is unbelievable and since since i've gone 180 degrees in the other direction devin i'm wearing my purple bulls hat tonight uh today in honor of prince <laughs> and the, the people can't see this but i'll show it to you my one of my favorite coffee cups oh you got a prince coffee mug Yes. <laughs> and a Prince flask. I got a Prince flask. And you don't even drink. Wow. I, I, I put water I, in it. Apple juice or something. <laughs> I go, I take it to football games yeah. uh, when I go to see football games. So anyway, you were right. Uh, I was wrong. And uh, I sent a Devin as a homework assignment. Uh, Prince, this gets to the point I was going to make uh, playing uh uh, while my guitar gently weeps at the, uh, was it the Rock and Hall Hall of Fame concert or Rock something? Hall of Fame, yeah. yeah. He was inducted that year, whatever, whenever that was, he was inducted. And I believe, I'm not certain if George Harrison was inducted. He may have been inducted that year as well as an individual. And uh, so George Harrison's kid is a huge Prince fan. So we got like, you know, you got Tom Petty and, uh, my man Lynn from the Electric Light Orchestra and, and the rest of the cast of characters that they use. And so, uh, you know, he asked Prince because he's a huge Prince fan to do it. And I don't know that those other guys kind of, I mean, I think Petty was cool, but I don't think the other guys were like really too keen on that because 
they all knew George Harrison and obviously Prince didn't know him. So, uh, and the story is, is that when he came to rehearsal, the guitar player who took the first part of that uh, solo, mm-hmm. Prince was supposed to actually play all of that. But the guy just like, no, nope, I'm playing it. He just snatched this, you know, he snatched this, this the, the, the little part and Prince was like, okay, he didn't even play in the rehearsal, so I'm cool. <laughs> you know, I'm good. And came back and smashed it. As you so w- l- let's uh, let's go t- take a little deep dive in this one. Mm-hmm. I did not know that backstory. I'm glad you shared it. And like yeah. I said, the man knows freaking everything, ladies and gentlemen. So why did that guy insist on, in your humble opinion, because obviously you weren't in the room, but why would he insist on doing both. So anybody who knows this, there's two guitar solos uh, in the song in the way they did it anyway, uh, at the, uh, hall of fame concert. Uh, there's an opening guitar solo. I can't remember the guitarist's name, but I can see his face. Eric Clapton. The, I mean, Eric Clapton originally did. Yes. yes. We're going to get to Clapton. Yeah. Eric, on the record by the Beatles in 1968, the white album, it's Eric Clapton. But on that stage that night in 2004, wherever it was, he's somebody was, that's associated with, uh, Jeff Lynn or Patty or somebody. I it may have been Patty's guitar player. I'm not really sure. I, I have to look that up, but, so what is it? Is there competition? Help me out among guitar players, like basketball players or football players. Like each one has to be the, the bad guy on the block. And you, well, uh, first of all, once you get to a, first of all, that's the rock and roll hall of fame. So you're playing in front of all of your peers. You're playing in front of people who are already inducted or, or going to be inducted and whatever. And so, you know, you got to bring, you know, you have to bring your a game. So anybody that has an opportunity, I mean, if that were me and they gave me, you know, I'm singing backup for, I don't know, Stevie Wonder. And he gives me, if she, he gives me a solo of, of five seconds, I'm putting everything that I could possibly put in there in that, in that five seconds that I have to show people that this is who I am. And, and it's not necessarily uh, because it's a competition. It's just the fact that, hey, man, you, you get one opportunity to do this. One opportunity. And so you got to make the best of it. And I think that, and then there are some competitions there, are, you know, places people go, you know, it's like cutting contests. They call them cutting contests. You know, I see Ben in there. He's got his ax. I know he's Ben is the, you know, uh, house guitarist. I'm going to show everybody that Ben can't, he really can't play. And, you know, you get people like that, but most times once you are at that level and you have that amount of confidence, I don't know that that goes through people's mind. It's just like, you know, they pretty much know what they can do. And it's just, they just do it, I guess. This other guy, I thought the other, from how the backstory played, if he didn't relinquish the solo, then he was just like, this is my one opportunity. I'm taking it. I don't care who it is. So, you know, that's just in my imagination. Yeah, I hear you. And you know, the funny thing is that uh, nobody remembers him. <laughs> right? <to have> Prince. <laughs> right. Prince comes up there and he just kills it. And they took the guitar solo to places. Devin, I've heard that song a million times. I'm a huge Beatles fan. Still love the Beatles very much. Uh, and he took that guitar solo in so many places, and he just got to watch him because he's got this little smile on his face like, this is so easy. You know? Right. right. And, and at the end, he throws his guitar up in the air and walks up the stage, and it never comes back down. <laughs> <laughs> never comes down. Observe the, the, uh, the actual video a little bit closer, and you can look at George Harrison's son. And he's like, Prince is like, should I play? He's like, yeah, play. And, and he's going to stop. He's like, no, no, go ahead. You know, so he was really into him. So I, I don't know the total dynamics of it, but that's kind of a little bit of it. You know, All right. 
Uh, anyway, so you were right. I was wrong uh, on Prince. And, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but we're, uh, I was right. You were wrong on Mick Jagger. We're not going to have that discussion again. Let's move on, Eric. We're not going to go there. I just had to get one last dig in, right? <laughs> <laughs> and also, I was right. You were wrong about uh, Give Me Love by Santana, which is such a wonderful song. I urge everybody to check it out on the Carnival album. All right, let's move on. We're not going to redo, relitigate old arguments. Uh, so, Devin, I got to bring you into this. So uh, I've had this feeling about Eric Clapton, uh, the, the legendary rock guitarist from England for a yeah. long, long time. Yes. Uh, he has really turned me off politically because he's become uh, pretty much a MAGA man. And in my humble opinion, has lost his mind regarding um, the vaccines and mandates uh, and has issued a proclamation. He thinks this is a great intrusion on his sacred liberties uh, uh, and uh, issued a proclamation at some point that he would never do a concert in a venue that required vaccines or masks, et cetera, and so forth. Sure. Uh, so I said, that's it. I'm through with him. I'm done with this guy. And as I said in my reader story, I wrote about it. It wasn't hard to do, D, because I really wasn't into him that much to begin with. It's a hard thing. Like, it would be a hard thing if it – who? I really love the Rolling Stones. If Mick Jagger suddenly came out and started talking stupid like uh, Eric Clapton, it would be hard for me to give up the Rolling Stones. Sure. I love listening to the Stones, you know? Right, right. Even if Mick can't dance. And so the um, <laughs> uh, so it's hard to have a boycott if you really like the person, and it's easy to have a boycott if you don't really care. For that's what a boycott is. is the thing, sometimes the thing that you need or you love or like the most and you have, it's like a fast. It's like fasting. You know you love to eat. I know how much you love to eat. I remember. And you love to eat, and you had to fast for something. That'd be really hard, but you know you needed to do it. So that's just what it is. Uh, but Clapton, uh, he's never been that guy for me. As a matter of fact, um, so I was nominated for a, uh, I was in the running to get a blues award from the blues uh, entity or academy or whatever it is. And I'm Facebook friends with Muddy Waters' daughter. Now, there were some things with, like, this other guy, I think this guy named uh, Johnny Lang, I think it was. Or, I'm not sure. I don't want to say any names. Somebody has had, like, uh, a, a dog on Confederate flag. He had the General Lee car. Mm. And it was kind of – and then all of a sudden, then it got to uh, Clapton because her father was Muddy Waters, and Clapton was, you know, in his wedding, and – Clapton spent the day, you know, night at his house in Justice, uh, Illinois, and all this stuff. And Clapton in the seventies went on a rant. He went on a racist rant, at, you know, at some big concert, you know. And so those are things that people don't know. You got to understand the background behind them, you know. Man, sometimes you know you, it's hard to get people if you see it. It's hard to get people to you know to understand that this person has been this way all along. You know, you can call him, you can call it the way you want to call it just because he's played with all the black guys and he's hanging out. You know, he was, he's driving a car with BB uh, King and, you know, all that stuff. Hey man, that's, that's all garbage and BS. This man, you know, you call a spade a spade, you call it what it is. You see what it is. You've seen it. And I'm not saying that people can't change, but it all, it resurfaces again. And now you see what, what kind of person that he is, you know, and, and you can have your thoughts on it. That's fine. Like, you know, just like we may have a difference in, like, you know, you say that Mick Jagger can't dance. I say Mick Jagger can move. We have a difference of it. But that's just my opinion, and that's your opinion. 
you know, that's not a life or death thing, but that's my opinion. I'm not going to chastise you. Well, maybe I would you, but I wouldn't <laughs> chastise anybody else simply because you had a difference of opinion. Hey, man, put your mask on, stay away from me and keep your, you know, your opinions to yourself like I will, you know, and he's just, you know, that that's a whole bunch. That's just a, you know, that's a bunch of uh, garbage. And, and furthermore, if anybody follow vaccinations or anything like this is just my opinion on it, guys, but. You know, there used there was a polio vaccination, wasn't it? You know, there was a, a you know from the measles. How many times have I'm not saying you don't people don't get it, but how was the last time you heard of an epidemic of polio? Because there's a vaccination for it, and I'm not saying you don't get it, but it, you don't have it as much because people are vaccinated. As a matter of fact, you couldn't in my school. I don't know about your school, Ben, but if the kids didn't have their shots, they sent them home. Yeah. As a matter of fact, they would line us up to go to the gym to get vaccinated. Yeah. <laughs> when you see the, you know, you see the bully, the bullies will come out of there. The bullies, the, the biggest and baddest kids, they come out of there crying. <laughs> and I'm like, if they're crying, this is going to be really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's a good riff, by and, the way. And, uh, but let me tell you this real quick. You, you, you're not sold on this guitar. No. And Okay, so, all right. Let, so this is the point. So moving and putting, and that was a great riff. I agree with everything you said. Putting the politics aside, I, I, I made this uh, assertion that in my humble opinion, he was a, you know, run of the mill guitarist uh, that baby boomers fell in love with. I don't know why they thought he was cute. Who knows why baby boomers do the stupid things they do. And, uh, <laughs> and I say this, I am a baby boomer. Yes. And so I said, I took a challenge. I will name, I, I said I could name 10 local guitarists who are as absolutely as good as <laughs> Eric Clapton. And I just r- rattled off five. And one of them is so clear. shouldn't even be on the list because he's a giant. And I try to keep it into, uh, these are people I know and I've met. These are just, literally, these are just people I know and I've met. So uh, Mike Almana, who's a good friend of this show, great jazz guitarist. Uh, his mentor, the great George Freeman, who's, I mean, come on, Eric, eat. Eric, come on. You can't even put yourself in the same sentence. Uh, <laughs> Richie Davis, the great, the legendary, the leader of uh, the, Chicago the, the, Cats. De- the Chicago Cats, Devin's band. Devin's the front man for that. Uh, a friend of my, uh, my wife, Zoe Witz. Uh, this guy, Zoe Witz, a local Chicago guy. I saw him do a, he was a cover band for Steely Dan. I thought it was Larry Carlton on stage. I mean, this guy can play. <laughs> and then... Uh, this is a guitarist I follow on Instagram, a local guitarist, Melody Angel. Yeah. I mean, I, what range I know, she's got. I know so. her father. I know her, I know her dad. Yeah, very well. I, so I agree with you. I mean, so again, we're, we're talking about what your opinions are on. Um, I, I can tell you one of the reasons why people really loved him. Because he was part of the, the uh, British invasion with Cream. One thing. The second thing, in England, the closest thing they had to an authentic, at that time, really like a blues guitarist, was Clapton. That's, that was the closest thing until Hendrix came and blew everybody's mind over there. And, and you know, the story is, is that him and Pete Townsend saw him and walked and went to a movie and just sat in there silent because they couldn't believe what they had just witnessed. I don't know how true that is, but I'm telling you that, in my humble opinion, you know, he's okay, he's not bad, you know, I, I'm not impressed. It's not like I got, I'm breaking down the door. I don't have I don't have one single Clapton album recording or anything. Um, one song that I did I had to sing was uh, 
What song was that? Um, if I can change the world, that song. Oh yeah. I, I had to sing that because I had to sing that for somebody's wedding or something or another. And that's not a bad tune. He didn't write it anyway, you know, but I, let me tell you this, the song Layla that you like so much. Yeah. I love that song. And I read your article. You're talking about like uh, if somebody <laughs> dropped a piece of food on the ground <laughs> and they picked up the three second rule. See, yeah. The three second rule only works. <laughs> It's a couple of things I'm going to say about the three second rule. <laughs> only if you grab it right away. You know, you don't fiddle around with it. See, you, you drop the ball because you start air guitaring too. <laughs> you drop the ball. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you drop the ball, man. When you start air guitar, that's, that's, that's the equivalent of dropping your food and a load of some poop. For three seconds, you pick it up, and you think it's still uh, <laughs> to eat that food that, that's, that dropped on some poop. No, no. So, well, when Devin is talking about, I wrote the story about how uh, I made this proclamation. I was going to boycott all Eric Clapton. One day, I'm driving down the street. I think I was going down Western Avenue, South and Western. Uh, and I was listening to what else? Classic, classic rock. And uh, <laughs> onto the song comes that opening riff uh, from Layla, Layla with the two guitars in unison. This is not a boycott, ladies. This is not breaking the boycott. This is merely playing the riff, okay? For illustration. <laughs> okay, I'm illustrating something. Anyway, uh, I was at the light. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And I started playing air guitar. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be boycotting him. <laughs> And I quickly yeah. the station. And my rule is if it's only three seconds, like you're dropping a piece of food on the floor, you, my yeah. friend said you could eat it after three seconds. Obviously, uh, Devin disagrees with that rule. Oh, no, because you dropped yours in poop. <laughs> you dropped it in poop. You can't eat it three seconds out of a piece of poop. Man. Uh, well, I, I'm going to tell you this is the funny thing about it. That song that you love so much, Yeah, I believe, I'm, I'm almost certain that is uh, uh, Dwayne Allman playing that solo. That ain't Eric Clapton. Well, that's, uh, by the way, I got a lot of response, a lot of letter. I'm going to read them tomorrow uh, on the over the week. I got a lot of uh, really great letters from various people or emails uh, responding to that article. Some really taking me to task, by the way. And uh, <laughs> some ripping me. Uh, but one guy pointed that out. It was Dwayne Allman, so don't feel bad. And I still love Dwayne Allman. Uh, one of, to my opinion, one of the great guitars. He died tragically young. I think he was 24 when he died. In a, a, awesome. awesome guitars, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he played with so many. Dude, this, like, the fact that Dwayne Allman played with Aretha Franklin, that she yeah. respected him that much. Go well, you, first of all, you have to understand that whole situation. That was, that was Muscle Shoals, brother. That, that was, that whole, that whole, uh, whole thing. You know, they played on Wilson Pickett. And, you know, because a lot of people mistook that as uh, the Stax Band, but that was Muscle Shoals. And so Atlantic Records had Aretha go down there. So it wasn't, I'm not saying she didn't respect them. It wasn't a matter of so much, I got to have him on my record. Muscle Shows, that rhythm section was incredible. So they sent, they shipped her down there for that stuff. You know, so they played. And the most incredible thing about it is, is for me, it just goes to show you the music is uh, colorblind for real. No one knew that the majority of them dudes in there were white dudes. I know. No one knew. Me. You didn't know it at first. No, I, 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 the uh, on respect, like which is the quintessential Aretha Franklin song that we've all heard a million times. Are white guys playing? Hey, man, it, you know, 
it knows, you know, music. See, that's the thing about uh, um, America in, in this re- respect is that we are definitely a melting pot. You know, um, if you listen to like some of the blues music and the in, in the minor keys, you can listen to some of the old Irish songs in those minor keys. You can't tell me that those guys didn't hear that and it, it didn't filter through. Yeah. You, know, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> it's the same thing as, uh, you know, blues and gospel are first cousins. Yeah. Or brothers. Uh, so. By the way, I got a text from our next guest, Nader Issa. He's waiting for his uh, invite. Uh, he will be on the show. Don't worry, Nader Issa will be on the show. Uh, right. And, uh, and uh, oh, he, he's inviting. He's already uh, stepped in. We're not quite done with Devin. Nader, just sit, Nader. sit tight. Um, so, Devin, I gave you my guitarists that lo- I just named local guitarists. I didn't go all uh, celebrity. Local guys that you could see in Chicago right now. Anytime right. they were playing at clubs, you can go support local guitars who I believe are every bit as good, if not better. Yeah, better, better, uh, okay. say, <laughs> better than Eric Clapton. I want to hear who you is on your I'm list. Go ahead. Like that I appreciate better. One of the guys I'm gonna say is uh, Rico McFarland. Rico McFarland is uh, a blues extraordinaire. These guys has played with anybody that's anybody in any genre of music. He's played with them. He is in his own right, you know, you know, to me, one the up and coming new king of blues guitar in Chicago. Um, then there's a Jerry Jerry Johnson, a personal friend of mine. Uh, play for he's a smooth jazz i was teasing him i'm like you're a blues rock guitarist masquerading as a smooth jazz guitarist (laughs) you know he does that and then there's isaiah sharkey who is a new kid on the block who who's played with d'angelo the artist he's playing with uh, on tour soon with uh john mayer and a slew of other things you know uh who else do i like of course, Richie Davis. You Come know, on, I got to Richie some love. Put Richard in there. There's there's another guy that I really love. His name is uh, another Rico, uh, Ricky Baker, of uh, the band Rico, who is a Santana uh, disciple, and I like his guitar playing. You know, I love his guitar playing. So, man, there's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of people that you can really sit and name. Uh, there's a guy named L.A. Williams that you've never heard of, who, uh, and then there's a guy named Vinnie Roof. And so on and so on and so on. So, yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I think the uh, adoration for Eric Clapton, uh, putting politics aside, I think baby boomers just look in the mirror and like just ask yourself, why do I love this man so much? Why do I feel compelled to love and adore him? I don't know. Just he, ask yourself that question. To me, he, you know, to me, the music that they made when he was at Queen, he, to me, he never duplicated that because that was my favorite stuff. You know, like Strange Brew, and uh, I like that stuff. That stuff was kind of cool, man. You know, so that was me. You know, I never see. I, I was waiting for the explosion. I was waiting for him to be like, you know. So you know, you know what Pete Townsend's bringing to the table. You know what he's bringing. You know what uh, uh, Angus Young from ACDC is going to bring to the table. You know yeah. that. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's just uh, that kind of thing, man. You know you know what Hendrix brought. Yeah. You know what um, Benson brought. Uh, so uh, we're going to bring Nader on. Kevin, uh, and, uh, Kevin Smith is one guy, too. Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith is another guitarist. Really quickly. Play with Buddy Miles, who used to play with Jimi Hendrix. 
That dude is. Yo, Buddy, Buddy Miles is no joke. I was just watching old Buddy Miles footage. He was an electric flag. Oh, yeah. I can't believe you said this. I was doing a deep dive yesterday preparing for the show. Uh, one thing led to another. All right, uh, Devin, before I bring Nader on, one more time, uh, tell folks where they can see you. Uh, go ahead. I'm going to be at the Forge February 20th at the Forge in Joliet, Illinois, 22 West Cass Street, Joliet, Illinois. I'm going to hit at 7.30. Doors open at 6. This is my retroactive CD release party. So come and support. Buy all the tickets. I need you to be in the house to witness this historic event. He's a great performer, ladies and gentlemen. Not only, not only can he sing, but he can dance way better than Mick Jagger. Uh, uh, all right, Devin Thompson, thank you very much. We'll bring you back to talk some sports. He's a huge sports fan, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. You can get a taste of that. Go Bulls! Go Bulls, absolutely. All right, thank you very much, uh, Daddy D. Devin Thompson. Uh, with me now um, is uh, Nate Arissa from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, I think you're having a little technical difficulty with your uh, the video, it doesn't matter as long as we can hear you. Can you hear me okay, Nader? Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. Oh, you sound loud and clear and beautiful. I can't. There we go. You're, you're frozen. I see a very distinguished image of you. Uh, but I look, uh, I look like I'm uh, serious looking at something. <laughs> yes, you're seriously contemplating the discussion I was having with uh, Devin as to who the greatest guitar players are. I'm not going to try. You're a lot younger than uh, Devin and myself, so I'm not sure you want to participate in a bunch of old guys talking about guitar players. Um, I have, I'll have nothing to add to the conversation. I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> uh, so... I immediately reached out to you uh, after I read this article uh, that was in the Sun-Times. I think it was, uh, Nader is the education reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, my beloved bright one, home delivered every day. Uh, and uh, I have my paper right here in front of me. There's a follow-up in today's uh, newspaper. Uh, this is a very serious subject. It really irritated me, Nader. It was one of those stories that I read it when I'm drinking my coffee in the morning. And I'm like, I cannot believe this is, this is going on. I, I and I've been following uh, the Chicago public schools for <laughs> seems like centuries. Actually, if you count them both, it's just two centuries. Uh, but this story, it, it's just like I, this is even unbelievable for the Chicago public schools, and it has to do with accusations of sexual assault and the way CPS uh, is confronting it. Uh, and I'll set the context, everybody, and before I turn things over to Nader to explain a little different, uh, going into take the deep dive. We're in the middle of a get tough on crime um, movement, if you will, and in not only Chicago, but the state of Illinois. Got to be tough, got to be tough, got to be tough. And here, and again, look out for the victims. I've been hearing that every day, stories, different politicians saying that. And here I have this, confronted with this brutal story in the Sun-Times, which seems like the powers that be that run the public schools are going the opposite direction. They don't care about uh, the victim. That was my read of it. Uh, why don't you take uh, us on a little deep dive on this? Give us the background uh, and exactly uh, what happened. And uh, so take it away. Yeah. So a lot of people might remember back in 2018, the Tribune did this series called Betrayed, sort of looked at widespread allegations of sexual abuse throughout CPS, um, a lot of First of all, there was a lot of abuse, and then second of all, the cases were mishandled pretty widely. There wasn't uniform training. There wasn't an office uh, centrally that, that sort of handled these cases and investigated. A lot of it was liability reduction for the district is how these were handled with, with no care for the victims. And, I mean, kids were traumatized uh, 
one by the abuse and then two by the way that that the cases were handled the, the allegations were handled one of those cases involved the the lawsuit that i'm writing about this week it, it was at bogan high school on the southwest side uh two 15 year old boys both cognitively disabled in the special education program at bogan one of them reported in June of 2016 that two times earlier that spring and winter, uh, the other boy had sexually assaulted him in a bathroom at Bogan. And that story was one of the, the uh, stories in the Tribune's Betrayed series. We all know Rahm Emanuel at the time, the mayor, Janice Jackson, the, the school's chief at the time, came out and said, we want to do better for victims. We want to protect kids better. Vowed to, to reform the way that they handle these cases. There was a federal investigation launched. Uh, a, a sort of mandated plan was put in place by the feds for CPS to fix a lot of its problems. So things started to maybe move in the right direction. They, they instituted training, new ways to... Uh, to handle and investigate these cases. The inspector general investigated a lot of cases, all that. Now, that case at Bogan High School the, is still in court. The family sued in 2017, the year after the assault happened, and it's been dragged out all the way now four or five years later. And CPS is fighting it pretty hard in court. They hired a private attorney in the case, they, in court filings, call the students, uh, the, the, the student who reported the, the assault, they called his testimony self-serving because he says that he was without an aid. Uh, both, of these, both of these boys in special education, they were supposed to have an aide supervising them um, to and from the bathroom, for one, and, and the boy said there wasn't an aide supervising them. And that had to do with uh, how this occurred in the bathroom. They were unsupervised, and, and that's why the assault happened. So CPS called his, his testimony self-serving. They are casting doubts as to whether an assault even happened. And the family, I talked to the mom earlier this week, and, and I asked four or five different ways, did CPS ever, ever offer any type of support, even before you sued? Because may, maybe once it gets... Uh, to a lawsuit, CPS doesn't want to acknowledge they did anything wrong, which, I mean, you can comment on that aside. But before the lawsuit, right, there's no reason not to offer support. She said not once. Did anyone offer support, therapy, just reached out, how are you guys doing? Nothing. And, I mean, the boy was traumatized by these two, these two incidents. A classmate sexually assaulted him. The day after he reported it, they went in and had a meeting with <clears throat> the principal at Bogan, who's still the principal now. And she had the boy stand up and demonstrate how the assault happened to him and asked him if it hurt. And so, I mean, there's just trauma after trauma after trauma. In the deposition for this lawsuit, CPS attorneys asked the boy if anyone had ever told him it's bad to be gay. And maybe basically insinuating is, is uh, was this a consensual sexual act and you're scared to tell your parents. And it, I mean, it's just like I said, one, one piece of traumatic uh, stuff happening to this kid after another. And this isn't the only case that's like this. CPS is fighting quite a few cases in court and, and 
this case now seems to be going to trial in, in uh, next week. So when it goes to trial, they um, it'll be uh, the young man's family uh, as the plaintiff suing uh, CPS. Is that correct? Do I have that right? Yeah, the the family is suing the Board of Education, CPS, saying that they failed. Uh, they were reckless in in failing to supervise these two boys and allowing this assault to happen. Okay. Now, before we go further, I'm going to say something. This is me speaking, uh, not Nader. These are my views, not his. I just want to make that clear. And folks out there listening, all you people who always bash the Chicago Teachers Union, whenever they take a stand for like more social workers or more nurses or more therapists or more just support staff in the public schools, I want you to keep in mind this story that you are hearing right now. Because this kind of hostile attitude, I have been writing about this and hearing about stuff like this. This goes back to, this is like before, I can't even blame it on Rom or Janice Jackson in particular. This kind of attitude, the neglectful attitude, contemptuous, arrogant attitude has existed at Chicago Public Schools for as long as I can remember. So I just want folks who are hearing this just to put that in the back of their mind. Next time you hear a dispute like, oh, the teachers want more nurses in the schools or more therapists. They didn't even give this kid any kind of assistance or therapy. Just ask yourself, if this had happened in New Trier East or New Trier, excuse me, there's no more East. If this had happened in New Trier, you think they leave the kid hanging that way? All right. That's me getting off my high horse. Now I'm going to come back to you. Um, so what do you think is motivating if you could give like the best of justifications for uh, CPS bringing in an outside attorney uh, to handle this? What what have they told you why they felt compelled to get an outside attorney? No, they they don't. Every time there's a lawsuit and this isn't just CPS, it's it's most city agencies. Anytime there's a lawsuit, they say they won't comment um, and, and they cite pending litigation. So the only way you really get to hear any of what they want to say is through court filings, is through court hearings, um, all that. And so, no, they, they didn't really say the, the history of hiring private counsel is it's usually a sign that that they're going to try to aggressively fight a court in case a case in court. And I think that's the case here. They have their own internal law department. They have in-house attorneys. I think private counsel usually is more adept at, at fighting certain cases. They they do this a lot. They have specialties, whereas CPS, their law department, is focusing on a million different things. And so if they really want to aggressively fight a case in court, they're going to hire private counsel to do that. Um, and but that's not to say that CPS doesn't know what's going on. Their, their attorneys don't know what's going on. One of their attorneys is also on the case. One of their in-house attorneys, she was in court yesterday. So they, they all know CPS knows what it's doing. They can't just pass this off to, Oh, this is a private attorney. Who's, who's doing something we don't want. They're the defendant. So they're fighting this case through this private attorney. You raise a very valid point. Uh, that this is sort of standard behavior uh, in some cases. And on our show, we talked a great deal about the Anjanette Young case, which is not, has any, nothing, has nothing to do with the public schools of Chicago, uh, but it has to do with a police raid uh, on a West side home of a woman named Anjanette Young. Uh, she was stepping out of the shower when the police came uh, crashing in with a no knock warrant and she was naked for a while. It took the police a while to realize uh, that they had the wrong house. 
uh, and she filed suit and it was a highly publicized case. Everybody who's listening to my show knows all about it because we talked a lot about it. Uh, and eventually she got a settlement from the city in the aftermath of, or almost at the end of, of that, uh, ordeal, uh, Nader, there was a letter that the former, uh, corporation counsel who used to work for Lori Lifett uh, and had uh, either quit under pressure or been fired, and I can't remember which one, as a result of the engineer Young. He wrote a, a, like an, a letter to the editor of the Tribune saying, I could have gotten, we could have gotten a better deal. <laughs> we could have saved the taxpayers money uh, on this matter. I, if we just played tough, if we just played hardball. And so I think that's a prevailing attitude as you say, not just at CPS, but across the board that and I also think you could say it happened in Laquan McDonald as well, that at a certain point you, you have to look at, at the interest of taxpayers. And uh, so the lawyer's job is to limit the payout. But I think that clashes with the larger needs of looking out for the needs and of special ed kids or students who are very vulnerable. Talk a little bit about that conflict and how a city should do a balancing act uh, in dealing uh, with both aspects of it. Yeah. So here's the thing I mentioned at the top, one of the problems with CPS and the way it handled sex abuse cases before the Tribune series was that they were playing a game of minimizing liability. Every case, the way it was handled, they're trying to minimize liability to the district. That's what the law department did. They have a, basically a risk assessment team. That's that's what they did. See how they can minimize liability, how they can not get sued, essentially. Um, and that's what like an HR department does in any company. It's not there for the protection of anyone. It's there to minimize harm for the company or the organization. I think what's happening now even though they created a Title IX office, right, that it's called the Office of Student Protections in Title IX, they deal with these abuse cases, any civil rights complaints, all that. And publicly, they've said, we're here to protect students. This is a new day. I mean, you might remember a couple months ago, I think it was um, in November, this story came out about Marine Leadership Academy. This school in Logan Square, 13 adults were fired, either for sexual misconduct. They were, I mean, one of them I think had um, an improper sexual interaction with a student. Um, Another couple were grooming, like so-called grooming students for when they turn 18 to, um, to have relationships with them. And there's, there's a problem in Illinois law where that's not illegal. You a teacher and a student over 18 can have sex and it's, it's not against state law. Um, so that's, that's an issue there, but overall CPS came out, tried to get ahead of it, said, Hey, we've investigated this or our inspector general investigated this. We fired these people. We're taking this seriously. That's not to mention that by the way, we found out the principal at that school was promoted in the middle of being investigated for failing to report, uh, allegations, but, all, all in all, they tried to get ahead of it, say, hey, we're, we're um, taking this seriously. I think this sort of, this, this case, the fact that they're fighting this stuff in court, proves that they are still looking at this from minimizing liability. They don't want to pay out what um, these families want. 
for for these allegations. And they've so in this case, CPS tried to settle in early 2020. So about two years ago now, they tried to settle, and um, the the exact settlement offer and the demand aren't on the record. But I'll say that they offered less than five percent of what the family was asking in this case. And since then, there's been no settlement attempts that I know of. They yesterday, the court hearing was about essentially trying to get the case thrown out. And the judge said, no, I'm not going to do that. This is going to trial. A a jury will hear this later this month. And and, yeah, and and so I, I think that's the issue here is. They might be saying publicly, we're trying to, to protect students, we're doing our best. They're putting in some steps to do that. But once the abuse happens or an allegation of abuse comes in, the goal is still to minimize liability for the district. All right. Now, looking uh, past the issue of liability and minimizing liability for the uh, the district and supposedly looking out for the interests of the taxpayers, and I'm going to do everything I can uh, do to restrain it from going on a, uh, a tangent, a rail and a rant about how they throw money at developers in this town, but they're really looking out uh, to minimize liability when it comes to uh, a student who is allegedly sexually abused uh, in a public school building. Uh, so putting uh, that aside, uh, let's deal with uh, uh, something you said earlier on, which just boggles my mind, uh, that at no point, uh, according to your investigation, did uh, any official from Chicago Public Schools reach out just from a, th- in a therapeutic way uh, to say to the 15-year-old, then 15-year-old or 16-year-old, I can't remember what it was, uh, are you okay? Do you need help? Uh do you want therapy? Uh, that that's that's kind of a a really shocking um, reality uh, to deal with. The notion that the kids who are so vulnerable uh, and so harmed are left without any uh, protection. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, I to start, I think I think CPS has gotten a bit better about this in in the last few years. Um, I don't think they're there yet because we're seeing what's happening with this case. And for us, I mean, it's just shocking to hear a school district, their number one priority, their number one mission should be to educate and care for and protect children. And for a student, no matter who it is, any student to report that they were sexually assaulted inside the school and the school to not offer them any support is a bit shocking to hear. And I mean, it's, I, I asked the mom, she said she, she tried to think back. She doesn't remember any support. I, I, there was a teacher that, um, that sort of talked to talk to the boy, but it, there wasn't sort of like the widespread or, or sort of wraparound support that you would expect for a student who's saying he was assaulted inside of the school. And I think that's just one of a few shocking things to hear in this case. Some of their court arguments, I, I mean, first of all, the whole self-serving testimony thing is a bit shocking to hear the fact that they're also casting doubt as to whether an assault even occurred 
And uh, I mean, the, the, the private counsel in the case yesterday in the hearing basically said this is a sad and upsetting story. It's sad and upsetting anytime this happens. John Doe, because the, the lawsuits filed anonymously to protect the boys' uh, privacy and the family's privacy. She said John Doe is sympathetic, but then she said the court can't rule on those sympathies. It has to rule with the law. And she's saying we don't know when this happened because the boy couldn't tell, um, say what day it happened. Um and essentially saying, we don't know that this for sure happened. And that's just, I mean, all of these things, not offering support, the line of questioning they asked him, doubting whether it happened. They even say in, in court, we their, their special education students have something called an IEP. It's called an Individualized Education Program. It's a unique document for every special education student it lays out what their needs are, what supports they're supposed to be given. They're federally mandated documents. They have to be followed. It's sort of a convoluted argument. I'm not going to get into the, the law part of it, but essentially what the attorney was arguing was we have to follow it, but we can't be held liable, legally liable for not following it. And so that might be something that you can argue in court, but it's still shocking to hear a school district argue that, right? Yeah. Special education parents, we have to provide your students with the support that they need, but Hey, don't hold us liable. If we don't, you can't sue us if we don't. And it's, I mean, all of these things are are shocking to see what, what happens behind the scenes, how, these families are treated compared to what you're saying compared to uh, how the district talks about these issues publicly. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was said we talked about this a lot yesterday on the show or maybe it was Tuesday. I've lost track of time. Uh, later. Uh, right after uh, your article, it was the same issue. Um, your uh, article came out. Uh, uh, Tommy Shuba, sometimes ace reporter, another good friend of this show. Uh, came out with a story uh, about uh, some assertions Lori Lightfoot made about carjackings. And we, and, and we talked, that was Tuesday we had this conversation. So, folks, if you want to hear, take the deep dive on carjackings in Chicago, I urge you to go back to Tuesday's show. Uh, but it's, it's just the city talks out of two sides of its mouth on one hand, you know. Uh, and in that particular case, they were saying that um, we need kids in our schools because when they're not in the schools, they do, they're running. If they're remote learning, they're probably ducking out the back door and go carjack you, which is essentially what the mayor said. Uh, and, and then we have the same issue. I got your story where this kid is in school, sexually assaulted in a school washroom, and their attitude is, oh, we don't even believe you that you were sexually assaulted. So it's like, why would I want my kid to be in a school again? I mean, it's just talking out of two sides of, of your mouth. Um, then I have to ask you, uh, in general, the state of uh, special ed uh, in Chicago, this was a big issue, I want to say in 2000, and, oh God, time's getting past me, uh, 2016, I think, when uh, Forrest Claypool, may have been before you were covering the education beat, was the... Uh, superintendent of public schools or 
the CEO of public schools, and uh, he eventually left office because there's allegations of misspending special ed monies and other things. Are they any better in general at special ed than they were during those days of Forrest Claypool and Rahm Emanuel? So that's a good point. Well, let's let's talk about that for a second. I'll get to today in a minute, but first we can tie the Forrest Claypool stuff to this case because around the time that this assault was reported, CPS was just undergoing massive cuts to special ed. Forrest Claypool and these these sort of outside um, consultant types that he brought in to try to help the district fix its financial situation, they identified special ed as a way to do that. And those IEPs I talked about were being rewritten to provide students with less support. And so you had a ton of cuts to the number of a, the special education classroom aides, these paraprofessionals that support special education students, teachers, all that. There were huge cuts. You would think maybe if those cuts hadn't happened, is it possible that this student would have had maybe another adult with him? I don't know. I, I don't know specifically if Bogan had, had suffered any cuts, but I think it's an important piece um, when we're talking about any type of special education issue at CPS over the past five, six years, to be sure to note that, yeah, there were these huge cuts that, that Forrest Claypool made. And, I, yeah, I think, I think CPS is still feeling the effects years later. They um, have beefed up staffing a little bit. Staffing is better than it was. And that, of course, turned into a huge scandal that he was cutting, cutting special ed. Um, there was a state complaint filed, and there's, there's now a state monitor. There has been for the past few years over CPS's special education department um, and, and trying to, to get some of those problems sorted out. I, you, you talk to special, special education parents, a lot of the same issues remain. Students don't get the support they need. When the investigation happened into those cuts that we're talking about, the state required CPS to provide compensatory services. It's been three years, and I wrote a story uh, with one of my colleagues, well, now colleagues, Sarah Karp at WBZ, and... Um, a, a few months ago, like a, a shockingly small number of those families that had lost services had received the compensatory services to make up for, for what was taken away from them. And it was just a super complicated process. Families didn't know how to go claim what was theirs. CPS wasn't reaching out to them. They'd send them these really weird and confusing robocalls and if they didn't answer after the third time, they'd sort of cross them off the list and say they were done. Um, after we published that story, the CPS changed the way it's doing things. It's, um, it's automatically giving remedies to all these families before they had to basically apply and prove that they were, they were wronged. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's still a mess. There's a lot of complaints about the leadership team and, and the special education Department. There's been a ton of people who have left over the past couple of years and the pandemic hasn't made it easier. Obviously a lot of these students have very special specific needs that oftentimes can only be um, given in a school. Remote learning was hard for special education families. 
Um, some of them did better, but but a lot struggled with learning at home. And um, yeah, it's 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 just been been tough for special education families over the past little while. Well, it's a very bleak picture you're uh, painting. Uh, and uh, the reality is this. Uh, this is me again. Uh, it's just always a fight with CPS. You mentioned Sarah Carp, the legendary bulldog Sarah Carp, great investigative reporter uh, with WBEZ. And she's been writing about CPS for years and just the struggles at CPS and how, particularly with special ed, because these are the most vulnerable uh, students, uh, Nader, and in Chicago, this is me speaking, not you. It's like, if you don't have clout, they'll just run over you in this city. And, uh, it's just like the most vulnerable people with the least, uh, amount of, uh, the, 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 like the smallest voice in the room, if you will. And they were diverting money from their programs for things that they weren't supposed to spend the money on. Uh, unbelievable and force people went down for that. And now we're here. We are. I think it's about six years later, almost maybe five years. I've lost track of time and we're still struggling. So um, it's a very bleak picture. Why don't we close this? Is there, <laughs> I'm going to give you the opportunity to close on a very on a op- optimistic note, if possible. Uh, you've been covering how long now you've been covering Chicago public schools for the sometimes um, coming up on three years soon. Damn, three years. They ought to give you a badge or something. Uh, so is it getting better? Can you give any evidence that the things that we've been discussing, you know, like the attitude toward the weakest, most vulnerable students is improving? Are they voluntarily uh, adding to the classroom or to the schools without being forced to do so by a contract negotiation or bargaining session uh, with, with the teachers? Do you see a signs of improvement? on these fronts data that we can end the show with a little sign of optimism. Well, um, I think there are small signs here and there. I mean, one thing I know, I know we just went through sort of nasty back and forth between the mayor and CPS and CTU. But if you listen to Jesse Sharkey or Stacey Davis Gates, they sort of say that the new CEO, Pedro Martinez has tried to build a relationship with them. And they've appreciated that. Um, so that's one thing. I think, I mean, just a small example today, CPS uh, basically gave two options for its new calendar for next year. And they're letting families vote on which one they want. And like the, the, the vote isn't going to determine the calendar, but it, it's sort of giving parents a, a say in something small, but kind of significant about what day to start when, um, whether whether first semester ends before or after winter break next year, if they should end earlier or later in June, that's something that parents have complained about a lot is not feeling like they have any say in the district. So that's a small thing, a small gesture. Hey, we're going to let you guys vote and, and have some say on the calendar. I, I think it's going to take a little bit to rebuild trust a lot of trust has been lost over the years from the sex abuse. I don't want to call it a scandal because it's not a scandal, but the, the sex abuse mishandling, all that, the, the, the way that they've handled sex abuse, um, the way that they've handled special education. I think a lot of trust has been lost with the way that they've handled remote learning and, and sort of the pandemic and my way or the highway. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's going to take a little bit to build back trust. I think if there's sort of a calm next few months and, and schools can go upon their business and um, trust is sort of built at the local level, teachers and parents talking and, um, and building relationships, I think, yeah, you can start to head in the right direction, but I don't know. It's still a district with a lot of, a lot of issues and, um, a lot of bright students who are doing great things, but a lot of times they're hampered by the circumstances around them. Uh, and I'll I close with a question that popped in my mind where you're going in that riff just then. Uh, and I've been thinking about this. I was just talking about this last night with somebody. Uh, so when you mentioned the remote, so when there were, I don't know, the Lord life would cause it a strike. The union calls it a lockout, whatever. When the, I think it was four days were lost uh, or last month. And I know you covered it. Uh, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and the, Teachers came back to work uh, remote is they're in classroom, but there's any issue those four days. And last I saw the board of ed or the Chicago public schools has not guaranteed to put those four days back in the calendar. Has something happened that I missed? Have they agreed to put those four days back in the calendar? What's the status of that? No, not yet. So they left that up to Pedro Martinez, the CPS CEO and the board of education they're going to make a decision. Obviously, no decision at CPS gets made without the mayor. Um, but it it sort of allowed them to move on and get an agreement. I think you'll remember back in 2019, the strike extended on for a couple more days because the last thing that wasn't agreed was whether to make up those days. And there was this um, negotiation in City Hall that the mayor locked Stacey Davis Gates out of. Um, so that, I mean, every time this issue of makeup days has been on the table and yet yeah, they, they've, they've left it up to CEO Martinez to make that decision at some point in the next month or two. Um, I imagine they'll add, if not all four days, some of the days back, but we'll see the CTU obviously wants that because their teachers lost pay, um, during that that stretch where they wanted to work remotely and, and CPS didn't, didn't let them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be up to CPS and, and Pedro Martinez still. What a trip, man. <laughs> Cause just think about it. This is me speaking again. Uh, all I hear about is how every day in the classroom is sacred. Whenever there's a, you know, uh, whenever there is uh, any kind of uh, turbulence with the union, I, I just, every day is sacred in the classroom. We cannot afford one minute of missed opportunity. The children need this. I, Nader, I heard this. Now, this is the demiest thing in the world. Every dem is saying the same thing now. You know, like we have to have children in the classroom. They cannot do any remote. Uh, and usually it's used to attack teachers union who are uh, concerned about uh, COVID. Maybe that's uh, dissipating now because fingers crossed we've turned a corner in that. But I do do find that interesting that instead of just adding the four days, they kind of like make the teacher sweat a little bit. Uh, and who knows? I mean, this is just me speaking. Maybe they're trying to give a little fuel to the uh, the group that's running against uh, Stacey Davis Gates. 
you know, there's an election, a teachers union election going on. Uh, I don't know, Nader, maybe I'm too cynical and jaded from having been covering Chicago politics since 1981. Do you think I'm too cynical and jaded? No, I don't, I don't think it's possible to be too cynical and jaded in <laughs> Chicago politics, but I, I think you're right. I mean, the mayor, the whole argument this last, this last month was kids need to be in school. They can't miss instruction, all that. I, I think it's, I mean, obviously she sees the CTU as her biggest political opponent and Hey, anytime I can beat the CTU, it's a win for me. And so um, on one side, she says kids need to be in school. On the other side, let's make the teachers sweat it out and see if they uh, if they don't get paid. So, yeah, I don't think you're wrong about that one. Uh, all right. Uh, in general, it's always safe to be cynical and jaded uh, when covering Chicago politics. And let's face it, folks, they say they want to keep politics out of the schools. Man, those two are so intertwined in Chicago. Don't fool yourself. Uh, Nader, any before I let you go, any great stories you want to tell people about anything? I know you don't want to give away your uh, great scoops that you got, but uh, anything you're really proud of, uh, do a little promotion. Yeah, I, I um, definitely stay tuned on this on this case that we're talking about here today. There's a trial next week. Um, for sure, we'll be following that and want to see how that turns out. Um, other than that, I mean, I think going back to December, I'd encourage people to check out a story I wrote about um, trauma in schools. Um, I spent a little over a year talking in different school communities about students um, falling victim to gun violence. And I mean, we always see the headlines, the TV cameras, all that the day that it happens, but people don't always realize that the trauma sort of lingers for weeks and months and years and students lose friends, teachers lose students, all that. Um, And so that was something I think people should really take a look at. And it was, it was pretty pronounced during COVID just the, the trauma and, um, the heartbreak that the people felt can't mourn their friends and their, their students for months because they're, they can't come together. So um, I'd encourage people to go check that out. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I know you're busy uh, and uh, probably bring you back more. You did a great job. So thank sure you very thing. much. We got to talk bears sometime. Okay. Well, before, all right, since you threw that out there, I'm going to, I cannot uh, let you leave uh, without answering this question. No ducking, no dodging. Should the bears in your humble opinion, and this guy's a bear fan, should the bears have hired Brian Flores as their head coach? Yes or no. Take it away. I'm going to say no. And the only reason I say no is because I don't know what any coach is going to turn out to do. I think, I think Brian Flores was, was probably the most qualified candidate in this cycle, but I can't say, I mean, go hire Brian Flores because I, I legitimately have no idea how any of these guys are going to turn out. The bears seem to ruin everyone. So <laughs> it might be better for Brian Flores to have gone the path that he took. I hope he gets a job somewhere soon. I can't recommend anyone come to the bears. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He was probably the most qualified coach out there. I also don't know that anyone is going to be successful with the bears under the McCaskies. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh my goodness. You were like, did you grow up in Chicago? I'd actually do not know the answer to this yeah. question. Yeah. So yeah. Big, big bear's fan. 
Did, what did what high school did you go to? I well, no. I to answer the question of it, did I grow up in Chicago? No, I'm I'm from the area from the from Lombard. Oh, okay, um, Lombard. But, yeah. Oh, uh, Lombard West. No, not West. We we hated West. Lombard South. Okay. I was uh, the the little less uh, extreme rich Lombard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I just saw Lombard West play basketball. Yeah, uh, week, was, a good game. Oh, oh, you watched? You were at the game? I didn't. I, I didn't go, but I watched it. Um, oh. Amari Bailey's something else. He, he's he's too good. Amari Bailey uh, is the uh, star guard for uh, Sierra Canyon, a high school, uh, a private high school uh, in Los Angeles that uh, has an incredible team that includes Bronny James. Nader, I'm really going to restrain myself here because I could talk basketball for another hour with you. You got things to do. I could start talking about the latest trades. James Harden has been traded, but I'm going to restrain myself. Okay. Nice time. Uh, Next, yeah, we'll uh, do it next. You're a big Bear fan. Uh, I'm on the Brian Flores bandwagon, uh, but your your basic point is true. And as so many people have said what you just said to me. Whenever I complain about the Bears dra- drafting Mitch Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes, they'll say to me, Ben, the Bears would have ruined Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Probably would have. <laughs> oh, my beloved Bears. All right, Nader, thank you so much. You do an outstanding job. Take care, all right? Yep. Talk to you. All Thanks right. for having me. All right, very good. This Nader is. Huh? I also want to thank the the um, uh, Doctor D. No, Daddy D. I got my doctors and D's mixed up. Devin Thompson, great job he did uh, earlier in the show. I urge everybody to check out his concert in Joliet. Talking about Eric Clapton, and of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Without whom this show, this show would be possible. And as Nader and Devin will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Doctor D, and the D stands for tomorrow. This give yourself a raise, take another petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 